This is How Shall They Hear, a production of New Testament Christian Church of Renton, Washington. We hold services every Sunday morning at 1030 at 13470 Martin Luther King Jr. Way South, Renton, Washington, 98178. You can reach us by email at ntccrenton at gmail.com. But this morning I'm reading from Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 and 22. Matthew 18, 21 and 22. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not until the I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Read this Bible reading again. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him till seven times? Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And with the help of the Holy Ghost, I want to preach for a little while on the title, Unlimited Forgiveness. Unlimited Forgiveness. Mr. Larson, would you stand and pray for the message and messenger this morning? Thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given us to come together and worship you and to feel your presence, God. We thank you for a man that can preach your word. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this time that we have to listen, open our ears and open our hearts, that we might leave here changed with a better understanding of your will and how you would have us to live and conduct ourselves in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, it was common for him to receive questions like the one asked by Peter here in Matthew 18, 21-22. The one thing we noticed during many discourses Jesus has with the people whether it was Pharisees, the disciples, other those, uh, others who just came to him to ask him questions. We see that a lot of it was him expounding upon the law of Moses. We see a lot of, you have heard. Jesus was saying a lot. You have heard. It is written. You're familiar with. Just as a paraphrasing it. And then he would always follow it up with, but I say unto you, the Jews had taken the letter of the law, but they did not understand the spirit of it. Thus, Jesus faced a lot of what-if questions. Jesus, the law says this, but what if this? I remember the Pharisees doing that. You say uh, that we got to give unto God, but... Uh, what about Caesar? Do we pay taxes? What if we have to pay taxes to Caesar, Jesus? Who gets the money, God or Caesar? All these different questions trying to set him up. Jesus, we found this woman in adultery. The law says we should kill her. What do you say, Jesus? A lot of these what ifs. What ifs, what if, Jesus? So here Peter asks Jesus, how many times, and Peter wasn't being malicious like the Pharisees were, is a genuine question. 
But how many times that he, Peter, should forgive his brother? And by that, he probably means his just fellow man, others there in Israel, his own a kinsman, maybe his own brother, who knows? And Peter pro proposes his own answer of seven times. He says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Should I, should I do it seven times? But Jesus says, seven times, I mean, 70 times seven. Now, if you do the math, that's 490. Oh, okay, good. That means I only have to forgive somebody 490 times. They better not mess up after that, because then I get to hold a grudge. I get to not forgive them on that, 500, that 491st sin. But Jesus wasn't giving Peter a literal answer. He wasn't setting a limit to how many times you have to forgive before you can begin holding a sin against a person. And with this, we can ask ourselves, well, how can Jesus make this claim? How can he tell us that we have to hold an unlimited amount of forgiveness towards another person? How can Jesus tell us that we have to forgive people unlimited? That's a simple question. It's because Jesus practices what he preaches. Jesus practices what he preaches. Now, let's look at God. God as a whole. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. God is omnipotent. He can do and say whatever he wants. He can do whatever he wants. Us humans cannot. There are consequences for action, but for God, there are none. The enemy likes to attack God for allowing or causing certain things to happen in the Bible. There in the Old Testament, we see God pronouncing judgment on a lot of nations, telling Israel to go in and wipe out entire amounts of people. And then there in the New Testament, it's love thy neighbor, love this person, show mercy and compassion. So the enemy likes to say, well, look at God. First he says this, and then he allows that to happen. That doesn't make sense. He's contradicting himself. But we have to realize that God can do and say whatever he wants. And it's not him being uh, contradictive. It's God being righteous. It's righteous for God. And he's not changing his mind. He's not contradicting himself. There's context. And there's things that we just don't understand as humans. Let's look at what Isaiah 55 and 8 and 9 says. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Meaning, we don't understand why God does stuff. We can't understand why God does stuff. Our mind is not the mind of God. God is way smarter and way more capable of making better decisions than we ever will. We can always ask, why did the government do this? Explain this, Mr. President. Explain your actions, Mr. Governor, Miss Governor, whoever. But for God, we don't have a right to say, God, well, why did you allow this to happen? Why are you doing this? Because God is the creator. God is the ruler of the universe. Right. He doesn't bow to the laws of man or the understanding of man. Right. God created the cosmos. He put things in motion. Yeah. We have no rights. 
to ask God why he does things. And But whatever he does, it's righteous. We have got to understand that our minds are finite, and compared to the mind of God, we are nothing more than a dumb insect. An insect, what do they do? They crawl, they eat, they sleep, they reproduce, repeat, over and over. That's all they do. They're not intelligent. People say, well, that, do that dog is intelligent. He's able to move his ball from one room to the other. Please. Compared to God, that's not intelligent. We're talking about a God who can speak the universe into existence. Speak it. Not, not create it with his hands. Not have to cut down a whole bunch of trees to make things. God can make things out of nothing. That's what the scientists don't understand. They're trying to explain things of God. How, how did God allow the, this, the Red Sea to split and depart? And how did God allow the sun to stand still when Joshua was in battle? Because God controls it all. Amen. All the laws of physics and gravity and temperature and matter, that only exists in our little universe. Beyond that, in heaven, there are no rules. <laughs> God controls it all. Why am I bringing up that God is omnipotent? Because God can do whatever he wants. To include, forgive us for whatever he wants, as much as he wants. His judgments, his judgments are righteous. Psalms 119 verse 25. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou art faithfulness and in thy faithfulness hast afflicted me. God is right for what he does. Even in the Old Testament, if he had to destroy an entire city like Sodom and Gomorrah, he was right for doing it. They had to be wiped out. God pronounced it, and we can't debate against it. It's non-debatable. God's actions, they're not up for debate. Everything God says is true and right. No matter what culture you're in, no matter what mankind wants, the word of God is correct and steadfast. And we may look at it like, well, I don't agree with that. Doesn't mean it's not right. Amen. It is law, settled in heaven forever. It is a strange thing in our minds, in our world, to forgive someone who constantly sins against us. People, they go to a restaurant, have one bad experience, and they swear it off. I will never go back there. I found the spot on my fork. I, they didn't put enough ice in my drink. I'll never go back. The food wasn't as tasty this time. I'm never going back. People don't forgive. And then they go on their Yelp and the online and the blogs, and they trash the restaurant or trash the business because of one bad experience, because people don't forgive. They don't understand. And it's weird for us to be able to forgive someone who constantly sins against us. And for the most part, no one really sins against us. So there Peter's like, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? The thing is, you can't sin unless there's a law. And we have no right to make any laws. We have boundaries we may set for ourselves. And people cross that boundary. But that's not sin. If it's sin, it's sin against God. It's sin against God. 
So we can walk around and say, this brother sinned against me. Well, what did he really do to you? Because if he sinned against you, if you're calling it sin, that means he must have done something that's sinful to God. Well, he didn't pick me up. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he wasn't there when I called him. He said he would always be there for me. And I, I called him and he wasn't there. That's not a sin. What trespass is really uh, deemable for you to say, I don't forgive this person? He didn't want to fellowship with me. He's a backstabber. He sinned against me. No, he's not a sinner. That's your, that's your, your standard was violated. We're talking about real, genuine sin. We are not sure what kind of sins Peter was referring to that this brother could have done to him. But at the end of the day, if it's sin, it's sin against God. Not us. Sin against God. Anything else is just people not living up to our expectations. I said earlier that Jesus practices what he preaches. We hear that a lot. Why don't you practice what you preach? Why don't you do as you say? I wish a lot more people practiced what they preached, especially in government and different things. But God practices what he preaches. Even though, like I said, God can do whatever he wants. If God wanted to change the entire Bible right now, he has a right to. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Because he practices what he preaches. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't, but things do happen. And it's okay to change one's mind. Now, God doesn't change his mind necessarily like we would think that. Like I said, our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. But I remember there in Genesis 6 and 6, it said, And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. It repented God. What does that mean? Did, does that mean God made a mistake? No. He made man. It was a wonderful thing he did. But because man messed up, God said to himself, maybe I should not have done that. I didn't make a mistake. Man got corrupted, but I didn't make a mistake. And it grieved them to his heart. But... Here's the thing, he said, And the Lord said, I will destroy man who I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. So he's like, I'm going to destroy mankind. Then it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God wanted to wipe all of mankind out and possibly start over. He had the right to, despite the prophecy that he gave in the garden about the seed being born to destroy Satan. God was willing to nullify that prophecy. He was going to wipe man off. But he didn't, because God practiced what he preached. He said, I'm going to wipe man out. But I remember the promises I gave. I remember the love I have for mankind. Oh, yeah. 
I remember that. I remember the day that I was there, me and Jesus and the Holy Ghost, and we formed man out of the dust of the earth. I remember breathing into his nostrils, and he opened his eyes and looked at me. I remember that. Yes, it grieved my heart. I made man on the earth. But you know what? I'm not going to utterly destroy them. I'm not going to wipe them out. That I found one who, uh, he's a preacher of righteousness. He's living above a generation of wickedness. And I have a plan. I can preserve it. He practiced what he preached. So we find ourselves here in Matthew with Jesus telling Peter that there is no limit on how many times he must forgive his brother. And if Jesus can claim this, and Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus is a member of the Godhead, thus making him God, then it is a truth that there is no limit on how many times he, Jesus, has to forgive us if we go to him and ask for forgiveness. Amen. He didn't tell Peter that he has to forgive his brother unlimited, but Jesus himself would not forgive everybody unlimited. Because Jesus practices what he preaches. He was telling Peter this because Jesus himself will forgive us unlimited. However, there are conditions for this unlimited grace. There are conditions. Forgiveness is not necessarily free. Forgiveness doesn't come with some fine print sometimes. Much like at an unlimited buffet or at a place where you can get a drink refill, there are conditions. First, and are we listening this morning? You good? Very important right here. First, we want this unlimited forgiveness, this unlimited grace. We must first not sin willingly because we think we can. Romans 6 and 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 2. God forbid. And when he says that, he's, he's not talking about when you say to somebody, you know, you know, God forbid I get into an accident on the way home. God forbid this happens or this happens. What he's saying is, God forbids you to do that. God forbids you to sin just so his grace will cover it. God forbids you sin because you say that God will forgive you. That's not how it works. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 6 and 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. No, we don't. And that's a lot of problem with a lot of churches around, especially here in America. They think that the blood of Jesus gives us that avenue to sin. But the blood of Jesus gives us an avenue away from sin. Yes. I remember talking to that one guy, soul winning that one time. He was out front and we're talking to him and he's like, we invited him out to church and he said, Oh, I was baptized as a baby. I'm good to go. I'm good to go. I got baptized as a baby. I'm on my way to heaven. That's not how it works, 
And I'm sorry whoever lied to him, because not only is that liar going to be facing judgment, real death, and that's judgment right there. He led that man on a wrong path. He doomed that man by telling him, because he was baptized as a baby, he's good to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. And these verses right here prove that. Shall we sin? Because we're not under law, but under grace? God forbid. But our churches say that. Jesus died for your sins. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. But they got the wrong context. He didn't die for your sins. That way you can go out and commit them whenever you want. He didn't die to give you a clear blanket to do whatever you want. The judge doesn't pardon your, you know, they just have some presidential pardons. The president doesn't pardon somebody and then gives them a free license to go back to where, you know, how they got arrested the first time. They do it again, they're going to get arrested. The same thing with sin. You, you sin, you got to go back to Christ. Paul here in Romans is saying that now that we have this unlimited grace bought by the blood of Jesus, now that adultery, fornication, and other sins are not punishable by death, as the law had said, by the hands of man, it does not mean we can go willingly commit these sins and justify it by saying, well, God will forgive me. I'm on my way to the whorehouse. God will forgive me. I'm on my way to do this. It's okay, God will forgive me. I know we make that joke a lot. We make we say stuff all the time, like, ah, I'll repent of it later. You know, and that's really us just making fun of, you know, people who, who think that. But no, we may not have a chance to repent later. When you say that in your heart, when you say to yourself, ah, God will forgive me of that sin, and then you go and commit it, he won't forgive you of it. Because you're not repentful of it. You cannot get a, a refill at the drink fountain at a restaurant if you do not pay for the cup and if you've already left the restaurant. Unlimited grace. Like I said, you, we go to these restaurants and they have the soda fountain. They say free refills. There are conditions if you want that free refill. You've got to be a customer. You can't bring in your own cup. Walk to the fountain and start filling it up. You didn't pay for it. And you can't come back later. Once you walk out those doors of the restaurant, you're no longer the paying customer. You've paid. You've left the premise. You can't come back later that day and say, hey, I bought this drink this morning. I'm going to go ahead and refill it. No, you can't do that. That's not how it works. Sitting with people. You can't come and pray and ask God in your life and then go out and sin and sin and sin and say, well, I have enough sin for this week. Let me go back to God's house. Let me go back and get Jesus back into my life. That's not how it works. You want forgiveness of sin. You want this unlimited grace, unlimited mercy. You've got to remain in Christ. Sinning willfully is like saying, I want to be a sinner for the next few minutes. It's like saying, God, I'm just going to go ahead and be a sinner for the next hour. Literally dropping your cross. Dropping that cross Jesus asked us to carry. 
You know, they have a thing, I believe, in the Amish community. At a certain age, the elders of the community look at the teenagers, a certain amount of teenagers, and they reach a certain age. And they say, all right, for this next week or two, there are no rules for you. You can go out. You can use the technology. You can go drinking. You can go partying. You can do all this worldly stuff. You can do whatever you want. But then you got to come back and you got to make a decision. That's what this is saying. It's like saying, God, I'm a Christian, but I want to go sin real quick. I want a vacation from being a Christian. Uh, your blood is great, Lord, but I want to put it away for a while because I want to go do something I want to do. Sin is going to happen in the life of a believer. Okay, it's going to happen. If not, we all would have probably been raptured up already. If we got saved and everything was good and we, we were not capable of sinning, then we wouldn't even be here. If that was the case, Satan would be out of a job. Because Satan has two goals. Keep the lost in sin and drag the believers back to sin. Those are his two missions. Keep those in sin and bring those back into sin. If we were perfect the second we got up from that altar, he'd be out of a job. He'd be out of a job. God knows that a person is going to fall over and over. He knows this. But our job is to overcome every sin that grips us. Overcome it one by one. And that's what we got to do. We got to fight the sin one by one. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being reminded of the message we preached, I preached a couple weeks ago about feeding the spiritual swine. You want to overcome sin, you've got to starve it. The son, the prodigal son, realized that he was in this despair. said he came to himself. He said, what am I doing? I wasted the money. And now here I am feeding the pig slop. I'm feeding the pig slop. What am I doing? And he had a choice to do. He, he could say, I could go back to my father and make things right. Or I could stay here and feed the swine. And I remember talking to a gentleman uh, some time back. And he said he had a gambling addiction. And he, he went and he actually got some help for it. Got some help for his gambling addiction. And the, the, the counselor brought out some interesting things about addictions. And he said that the addiction isn't a one-fold thing. There's many things that are uh, enabling your addiction. And she said, what are some of the things you are doing while you're gambling? What are some of the other things that are feeding it? And, he, and, and she said, so you're, you, where do you go to gamble? You go to a casino. So you're in, the, you're in an environment. You want to get out of the sin, you got to get out of the environment. That's the first thing. You can't gamble unless you're in the environment. I said, and she said, what are you doing while you're gambling? You're probably drinking. You're drinking. You're feeling good. Your body's relaxing. So you start to associate the two together. 
If I gamble, I get to go drink also. And then maybe you go smoke. And maybe you got some good friends around. You got some other friends that come with you. All these different facets. When Satan comes and attacks us with sin, you got to say, what's going on? Why am, I in, why am I being tempted right now? Did I walk somewhere where I shouldn't have been walking? Where's my atmosphere? If you find yourself committing the same sin the same time every day, you got to find out why. What, what about that time is causing you to sin? You had a long day at work. Boy, does that that that, that bar look good? I'm, I, you know, you had to go to like a, a convenience store and it's hot out. And you look at the slushing machine and the soda machine. You're like, man, that looks really good. What if it's a hot day? You gotta you get off work, and you see somebody at a restaurant. They got that cold, frosty beer. Why was that temptation so great? Because a, it's hot out. B, it looks good. It's all frosty and it's the conversation. You think, wow, that'll cool me off. We got to remember where we are when the temptation comes. Are you tired? Are you lonely? Are you angry? Are you hungry? That's why Satan attacked Jesus the way he did in the wilderness. He attacked him when he was hungry. He knew. And there's an acronym. It's called HALT. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When that temptation of sin comes, you got to halt, stop, and ask yourself this question. Am I hungry? Because really, when you're hungry, your body begins to shut down a little bit. Your mental faculties begin to deplete itself. You ever realize when you eat something, you tend to perk up. You tend to get your vision focused back. When you're hungry, you become disoriented. we got to feed ourselves literally, but we also got to feed ourselves in the Word of God. And then angry. People sometimes sin out of anger. I'm mad. I had a rough day at work. I don't care. I don't want to feel anything. So they hit up a bar or shoot up some sort of drug or something. And then there's lonely. I'm lonely. I have nobody. But that girl at the strip club always smiles at me. That one stripper I know, she's nice to me. I'm lonely. Or maybe... Uh, I'm lonely, but there's these sinner friends or sinner co-workers that are always inviting me out. Maybe I'll go with them. And then, of course, there's tired. We've all made mistakes when we've been tired. Whether it's in anger, you know, you get so tired and you just get angry and you just need to lay down. But I'm thinking about these things. you gotta, you got to starve sin. you got to starve sin if you want to be free from it. We have here in the Bible, and it tells us, we have when the sin comes and we have and we fall under sin, we fall to sin, we have what's known as representation. Representation, 1 John 2 and 1. My little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, companies, major companies, Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Boeing, Wherever, major companies, they retain a bunch of lawyers. I remember working at a law firm, and they had clients, and then uh, one of the clients was Pepsi. They represent Pepsi. But the thing is, Pepsi pays them every month. They always pay them. They keep them on what's called a retainer. 
They continue to pay them because they want to have lawyers that are always there working on cases. Because every major company is always involved in some sort of legal uh, contest or legal, legal issue. There's always somebody trying to sue them. There's always some sort of red tape that they have to get through. There's always something legal that they have to deal with. You'll be surprised in what, you know, even down to uh, uh, real estate issues. Uh, company, they own a bunch of stores. So they need lawyers to sign the leases. Lawyers to sign the payroll. Different things. So you got lawyers for Pepsi and all these companies that work round the clock, working on all these issues, HR issues, property, uh, monetary. They're watching the finances. Lawyers do that. They watch, It's more than just the accountants. The lawyers watch the finances too. There's copyright laws. There's disputes. And we are like a major company. We are flesh. We must maintain Jesus in our lives. We've got to maintain the legal representation of Jesus in our lives. Because A, it's going to help us prevent us from sinning because when we have Jesus in our life and we're he's got he's our representative and we're retaining him we're reading we're praying before that temptation when that temptation comes and before we fall into it temptation is not to sin it's falling into the temptation that's a sin he's going to say hold on don't do that that's illegal you can't do that you can't sign that. You can't uh, violate this law. That's what these, these lawyers do. They tell a company, hey, don't do that. Don't market that. You can't. You, you're going to get sued for that. That's what Jesus does through the Holy Ghost. He convicts us saying, don't go there. Don't commit the sin. Screaming in our ear, don't do it. And if we do fall into the sin, if we bypass the conviction and the, the calling of the Holy Ghost for us to stop, if we do, the blood of Jesus covers it as long as we genuinely repent of said sin. Genuinely repent of said sin. Not, I'm going to go sin and then pretend and put on a show for Jesus that I'm really remorseful for it. But generally repent of it. The judge of our sin only forgives because our advocate had no sin of his own and our advocate speaks on our behalf. That's why I said that Jesus is our advocate with the Father. Jesus was sent out from heaven born of flesh so he can understand the temptations that we do. Our lawyer knows what's going on. Unforgiveness is sin. Unforgiveness is sin, and unforgiveness is like a cancer. It spreads. There is a difference between forgive and forget, too. There are times when after we've been done wrong over and over, that we need to put up a barrier or a standard. Okay? We understand that. We've we got to protect ourselves. We can't allow out the same sin, I guess you could say, that somebody does against us. You know, to happen again. And God does the same thing. He does put up a barrier next time. He puts up, he says, hey, you're, you're continuing to do the sin. Eventually, I'm just going to start letting you over to it. And he does that by, and then sin really does it by searing our conscience. It's not that he won't forgive us for it. 
But he may not be in the office when we call to forgive. <laughs> now it said that Satan entered into Judas. It's a final penetration. When you've uh, turned, you know, or bucked at God's law for so much, and you've continued to sin over and over, and you know it's wrong, but you keep going back to it over and over and over, and you have made no change, no attempt at correcting it, eventually you're just going to sear your conscience to where you're not going to want to repent of it. Thank God for the conviction that you feel after committing a sin. Thank God, because that means God is tell, telling you, hold on, you got to come back. When you commit a sin, you don't feel no conviction, that's when you have to worry. But you got to put up a barrier. Forgiving means you will not pronounce judgment upon the person. We must forgive others of trespasses against us because God is willing to forgive us of our trespasses. And there in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the, the, the remainder part of that chapter, Jesus gives this parable about forgiveness. And I'm not going to read it. I wanted to read it, but for the sake of time, I'm not. It, it says that a servant went to the master and said, Master, forgive me of the debt that I owe you. Forgive me of this debt that I owe you. And the master said, I forgive you of the debt. So then the servant turns around and goes to all these people that owe him money. And says, give me my money. I'm not going to forgive you of the debt. Give me the money that you owe me. And they said that the master found out about it. And said, I forgave you of the debt, but you're not going to forgive others of the debt? I will not forgive you of the debt then. And that's what he's saying here. Jesus saying, Peter, forgive the brother as many times as necessary. Because I forgive you as many times as necessary. That's the unlimited forgiveness. One thing we must also do is forgive ourselves. Stop holding on to the times you failed God. Repent of the sin and move on. If God has forgiven you, why should you not forgive yourself? Why should you not forgive yourself? And because you sin, it doesn't mean you got to put the Bible away for 24 hours until you feel the conviction gone. Because you sin, doesn't mean you got to say, I can't make it to church. I sinned last night. I, I, how, how can I go tell somebody about Jesus? When I just got done sinning myself. And it, I've been there. Like, Man, how, how can I go soul winning? Pfft. Who am I? I'm a hypocrite. That's why he says, repent right now. Repent, make it right. And God forgives it right then and there. God will forgive you quick of your sin and you forgive yourself of your sin. No matter how many times you fail, there is forgiveness. But there must be an honest and sincere conviction. There's gotta, it's got to be sincere Jesus practices what he preaches and because of his love and mercy, because of how great of lengths and how, more, how much long-suffering he goes through. Because of us, we should want to make sure we don't have to go back to him again to ask for forgiveness. Because of how much he loves us, how much he wants to forgive us, 
how much he does forgive us. That should be enough to say, you know what? Because of that, I won't sin. It says, the goodness of the Lord leadeth to repentance. Because of how good God is, that's why we want to live right. Not because of some thou shouts, but because of I loves. That's a message. Thou shalt versus I love. We live right because we love him. And he forgives us because he loves us. There is no excuse for sin. There is no reason to sin. But that's what makes our God so much more awesome than those that are believed on by the rest of the world. Is that God loves us. And he forgives us. God knew mankind could not save themselves from hell. So he sent down Jesus to become sin and die on the cross. Jesus paid for our sin, past, present, and hopefully not future. Hopefully that you don't sin in the future, but if you do, his blood will cover it. But you have to be earnest and sincere in that repentance. You don't sin willingly. What about unwillingly sin? That just comes from the flesh. That happens. But we have an advocate. You say, Jesus, I messed up again. I messed up again, Lord, and I feel that heartburn. Thank you for that heartburn, Jesus. Thank you that I'm feeling like this. And I don't know why I did it, Lord. Well, I do know, Lord. I, I, I gave it to the flesh. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. But Lord, I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to sin like this anymore. I don't want to live in sin. I want a clear conscience, Lord. I want to do what's right in your eyes. Forgive me, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. And name it. Lord, forgive me because I did this. Don't just say, forgive me of my sin. Name the sin. Name what you have done. Jesus knows. What are you going to hide from him? Name the sin. And then work on not falling into that trap again. Starve the sin. Starve it. Don't water it. You water it, it's going to grow. It's going to get worse and worse. You got to starve the sin. But there is an unlimited amount of forgiveness Jesus will apply to us if we generally seek it out. As we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning, this is a victory message. This is a victory message because it tells us of how far God is willing to go for us. We don't forgive each other so easily. Our legal system doesn't forgive people so easily. But God does. Because of his love for us. And that should stir something in our hearts. That should stir something in our hearts to say, you know, God, because you're so good to me, how can I be so wicked to you? You're willing to forgive me 70 times 70 times a million times a billion times infinity. And 
Here I am, Lord God, continuing to sin, and I can't do it no more. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. And if you've never prayed for forgiveness, you've never asked Jesus in your life, now you can do that. Same, it's essentially the same prayer. Saying, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died and rose on the third day. I believe you died for my sin. And I believe that you love me. And I ask you right now in my life, forgive me of my sin, Lord God. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to walk righteously. I want to be a Christian, Jesus. I want you in my life. Come to my life. And he will. Because he practices what he preaches. He said, I will come into you. I will make my abode in your heart. He will. He practices what he preaches. There is unlimited forgiveness this morning. Don't think if you have something in your life that God won't forgive you of, that he won't. He's asking for it right now. That's why he gave me this message. He's asking for our sin right now. So he can clear the slate for us through the blood of Jesus. Let's find a place to pray. Go ahead and sing.